If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And we're going to begin reading at verse 53, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter, just a few verses. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 53. Mark 6, verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him, that is Jesus, and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in, mark, in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've not left us alone. You've given us your spirit. And your spirit has given us your word. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would work in us right now in me to preach faithfully only what is true from your word, nothing else, and nothing less. And for all of us, Lord, as we hear your word, that we would be transformed by it, and that we would respond to your word the way that sheep would respond to the words of a faithful and loving shepherd, especially a shepherd who has laid down his life for those sheep. May it be so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this follows, this passage follows the previous one, which is pretty obvious. But the previous one is actually one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. One of the most famous things that has ever happened in the Bible. Remember that Jesus had just walked on water. Remember Jesus was on the shore with his disciples after he had fed all those people, fed those 5,000 families. And he sends the disciples on the boat. It says he makes them. Jesus made them. He told them, you must go across the, the water on the boat and go to Bethsaida. And remember what happens when, Jesus, uh, when the disciples are on this boat heading to Bethsaida. They're trying to get there, but it's not very easy because the wind is pushing them in the wrong direction. And, and what a journey that should not have taken very long ends up taking them a long time. And not only that, they're pushed in the wrong direction. And while they're fighting the wind, while they're fighting the waves, they see Jesus walk up to them, walking on the water. And then Jesus gets on the boat, and the wind calms down, and then they land. I want you to notice, where did they land? So they set sail to go to Bethsaida, and they landed in, in verse 53, the, the one that we just read today, they landed at Gennesaret. Okay. They land in a different place than Jesus told them to go, a different place than they were expecting to go or even trying to go. What happens when the people, when Jesus and his disciples land on the shore? They moor at the shore, they tie up their boat so it doesn't, it doesn't drift away, it doesn't get blown away. It says the people recognized him and immediately they all flock to him. They bring every sick person that they know and they carry those sick people to Jesus. They bring him from all, they bring the sick people from all types of places. 
And then Jesus walks through the region to different kinds of places. He walks to the cities, he walks to the towns, and he walks in the countryside. And every single person who simply touched the clothes of Jesus was made well. Whatever their sickness was, that sickness went away from them. Now, what do we learn from this story, this true event? Well, there are some people who think that only certain kinds of people need Jesus. Only certain kinds of people need Jesus. Only the people who are especially bad. But one of the things this passage teaches us is that all kinds of people need Jesus. Every type of people need Jesus. People from the cities, people from the villages, people from the countryside, Every single person needs Jesus the same amount because we're all guilty. All of us need to be rescued from our sins. There's also people who think that Jesus is only able to save certain kinds of people. Some people think that there's some kind of people who, yes, everybody needs Jesus, but there's some kinds of people that Jesus cannot save. They're the kind of people that Jesus wouldn't want to save. They're the kind of people that Jesus can't save even if he tried. Some people who are too bad. Maybe people from certain cultures. No. What this teaches us is that there's no one who Jesus cannot save. And that Jesus will turn away zero people. There's no one who comes to Jesus to be rescued. That Jesus will say, I don't want to save you. There's no one who will come to Jesus and Jesus says, I cannot save you. Just like when every type of sick person came to him in that town, in that, in that area, in Gennesaret. Every single person, everyone who touched Jesus' garment, his, touched his clothes, every single one of them was made well. What we want to see here, and what is screamed to us, yelled to us from all the parts of the Bible, is that there is sickness on this earth, and that's not new for everybody. Everybody knows that there's sickness on this earth. You've been sick, you know people who have been sick, you know people who are sick, you know people who have died of sickness. But what the Bible teaches us is that sin is the worst kind of sickness. That takes us to our first point, if you have put it up there. Our first point is that sin is both rebellion and sickness. It's on your handout if it's not up there. Sin is both rebellion and sickness. First, we want to see, yes, sin is rebellion. God made the world. The world didn't make itself. It was made by an all-powerful, all-wise, all-good God. And because he made the world, that means he was the king of the world. He is the king. He's the one who determines what should happen on the world. He is the king and he is a good king. And sin is disobeying God. Sin is rebelling against God. Sin is wicked. It's wrong. Sin makes you guilty. The Bible talks about sin bringing us under the condemnation of God. That means sin means that we deserve a punishment for breaking God's laws. In Ephesians chapter 2 and other places in scripture, it says sin makes us children of wrath. That means that we are not God's children. That means that we are God's enemies. 
Sin is rebellion. But you know, the Bible uh, talks to us in this way, and so that it's appropriate for us to think of sin as sin legally. So when we think about sin against God, it's important for us to think about it using things like crime and punishment to understand what sin is. Thinking about courtrooms and judges. The Bible also talks to us about sin being sickness. Sin is not just something that's wrong. It's not just rebellion. Sin also is sickness. Now that doesn't mean that sin brings sickness. Like anybody who's sick is sick because that they have sinned. That's not what we're talking about here. Sin is itself a sickness. It's a type of sickness. You can list a whole bunch of kinds of sickness, can't you? You can say cancer or diabetes or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Sin is a type of sickness. And sin affects the person the way that sickness affects a person. I want to demonstrate this using the Old Testament a little bit. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament were all the many books of the Bible that were written before Jesus came. And they predicted, they prophesied and promised, he's going to come, the Messiah is going to come. And he's going to fulfill everything that we've written. So it's important for us to go to the Old Testament to find out what does the Bible think of sickness and sin. Luke read for us Psalm 103, 1 to 5. One of the phrases is that he heals all our sicknesses and he forgives all our sins. The Bible loves to put those two ideas together. If you turn, don't turn right now, you can, I'm not forbidding you, but if you make a note to turn to Jeremiah 34. You can turn there if you want. But one of the things that's happening in Jeremiah 34, God sends a prophet, his name is Jeremiah, and he is giving a prophecy about the bad leaders of Israel, about the bad prophets of Israel, they're false prophets, about the bad priests who are supposed to teach the people from God's word, and he's saying that they're terrible, they're really, really bad. And one of the things that Jeremiah says that's bad about the, you could say, pastors, is he's saying they're bad shepherds because they're not healing the sheep. They're bad prophets and priests and kings. But when Jeremiah says that they're not good pastors, he's not saying the problem is that they were bad at medicine. When he's saying you're not healing the sheep, he's not saying that they were bad doctors. What he's saying is they were not helping the people turn away from the sickness of sin. They were not taking God's word as the medicine and saying, run from sin. Come to Christ, come to Jesus, come to the Lord to be forgiven of your sin and to be washed of it. If you turn to Isaiah 53, turn there. This is important that we, we read this together. Go to Isaiah 53. One of the most famous passages in the Bible and this is, in the, this is one of the passages in the Bible that's very clearly talking about what the Messiah, what Jesus, what the rescuer would do when he came. Let's not read the whole thing, but, but let's look just at verse 4 to 6. Isaiah 53, verses 4 to, to, to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. That's a word for sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. Another word for sin. And upon him was the chastisement. That's a word that means uh, punishment. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So it says that by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. Talking about sin in this way as a sickness. It says that by his wounds... We are healed. By the punishment that Jesus received, we are healed. On the cross, Jesus did not get cancer. He did not get diabetes. He didn't get dementia or Parkinson's. Jesus got our sin on the cross. He didn't get our sickness. He got our sin. And the Bible is using sickness to teach us something about sin. He describes it as a sickness. And what we learn when we say that, when the Bible teaches us that sin is both a rebellion and also a sickness, we learn that sin is not just wrong, it's also destructive. Sin isn't just guilt, it's not just doing something wrong, it is, but it's also destructive. Think of it like this. There are some cleaning products that your parents have, and your parents have told you, do not touch those things. Do not eat them, do not drink them, right? So your parents give you an instruction, make sure you don't do that, that will be dangerous, it's going to hurt you, it's going to make you sick. Then imagine a child disobeys his mom and dad, thinking, you know what, I don't think I'm going to listen to my mom and dad. And so I'm going to take those things that my mom and dad said don't touch and I'm going to touch them. Now there's two things that have happened. One is the child has disobeyed mom and dad. You've done something wrong. You're supposed to obey your parents and so you've disobeyed them. But the other thing is now you've got very sick because you did the thing that your mom and dad said don't do. They said it would make you sick and now you're very dangerously sick. And one of the things that sickness does is it makes your body not function properly. Your body doesn't work properly when you're sick, right? Nobody would want to run a race or go to the Olympics with a flu. Nobody would want that. It's not going to work very well. When your body's sick, your body doesn't function the way it was meant to. And we would call these things symptoms. These are the things that show that you're sick. It shows that something's not right You're not able to function the way that God has designed you to do that. And the Bible describes sin in the exact same way. Sin is wrong. Sin makes you guilty. Sin is disobeying God. But the Bible also talks about sin as a sickness. And the kind of sickness that affects you. And it makes you not able to live the way that God designed you to live. The Bible talks about lameness or being crippled. 
A person who is crippled, a person whose legs don't work, cannot move around either well or maybe not at all without anyone's help sometimes. The Bible talks about how sin does this to us. It makes us unable to do things that we're supposed to do. Unable to do things that would actually be good for us to do. It's kind of like we're frozen, stuck on being unable to do things that God has designed us to do. The Bible talks about leprosy. Leprosy. And one of the problems with the leprosy in the Bible, there's, there's, there's new kinds of leprosy now, but one of the problems with leprosy in the Bible is that what would happen is that it would deaden your senses. So you can't actually feel pain. Now, you might think, oh, that'd be great if I couldn't feel pain. No, no, that's a problem. Because if you put your hand on a really hot barbecue and you can't feel pain, what's going to happen? Your hand is going to get incredibly burned and you won't even be able to like pull your hand back. So now you've got huge burns and open wounds on your hands. And now imagine you can't feel the pain of infection. So then what happens is your hand gets so sick that your fingers start falling off. Maybe your nose, you get a cut in your nose, you don't notice, and your nose falls off. The Bible talks about sin as leprosy, meaning that it, you're, unable, you're unable to even notice that you've done something wrong. Sometimes when you do something wrong, you kind of feel bad about it. Your conscience tells you that that's wrong. And that's the problem with sin is it actually starts to act like leprosy. And now even things that you used to feel bad about doing because you knew they were wrong, you don't even feel guilty about those things anymore. You just end up doing things that are more and more wicked and you can't even feel bad about it. The Bible would talk about that as a seared conscience. You have seen this in yourself, I'm sure. I've seen it in myself. You've probably seen it in other people. It's easier to see it in other people. (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) You know that something's wrong and you know it's going to be destructive, but you just feel like you're going to do it anyways. Even though it's disobedient to God, it's going to harm you, it's going to harm your family, I'm just going to do it anyway. Now, we see this the way our, our culture has had its conscience seared about these things so that they do things that are incredibly destructive. Knowing that it's going to ruin people's lives, but hey, we're going to do it anyways. Things like transgender surgery or the transgender drugs. And we could see how terrible that is. Look, we're destroying ourselves and feel like we're unable to care. We know what's going to happen and we're going to do it anyways. We know it's going to destroy these kids' lives. We have to do it anyways. And it's good for us to see this and see, wow, that's, that's terrible. Look how bad that is. But we also need to realize that each one of us in this room does it. Maybe in a smaller way, but we're doing the same thing. Each time that we know something's wrong, and yet we feel we're just going to do it anyways. We know it could cause great harm to our, our family or our friends or even ourselves, We know that it's disobedient to God, and yet, I just feel like doing it anyways. This is the problem with sin, is it sears our conscience. It makes us unable to feel these things just the way that leprosy did. Sin is also like an infection. There's many diseases that, when you have them, they don't spread. But there are other diseases that, if you have them, they spread. (laughs) 
Things like infections or cancer. They spread to other areas. So this is how sin works as well. So maybe you say, look, I'm going to pick this sin. I like it a lot. When I hear the Bible tell me not to do it, I'm just going to ignore that. But don't worry. I'm going to make sure that all the other areas, the ones that could destroy my life and the ones that would look like I'm not a Christian, I'm going to, I'm going to obey all of those commands. But this particular one, I'm going to allow to have a little bit of this sin. And I'm not going to ask Jesus to clean me of it. I'm not going to repent of it. I'm not going to ask for him to forgive me. I'm just going to let this one sit. Would you do that with cancer? Would you do that with gangrene? This is one of the problems of sin, is that it's infectious. It spreads. It will not just stay at the place where you want it to. It will always spread and eventually take over everything. In the book of James, the Lord tells us that sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The Bible also talks about sickness as being deaf and blind. Deaf and blind. One of the problems of being deaf and blind, especially if you are both, is that you cannot see danger. You cannot see danger. You cannot notice danger, and so you walk into dangerous things without even knowing that they are there. But the other problem with being deaf and blind is that you wouldn't even be able to notice rescue if it came. A rescuer would come and you wouldn't even notice him as a rescuer. And this is exactly what happened when the Lord Jesus came. When the Lord Jesus came, the people noticed him. They saw that he was the Messiah, but they were so blind by their sin and so deaf by their sin that they couldn't even see that they needed to be rescued and they couldn't even see that he was the best rescuer and he was exactly what they needed. Dear friends, it is important for us to realize that sin is not just guilty. It's not just rebellion. Sin is a sickness that destroys. It ruins our ability to tell right from wrong. It ruins our ability to care. It ruins everything. It makes us sick, unable to care that we have sinned against God, and even unable to care if God came and brought us a rescue. Let's look at our second point here, and that is all healing comes from the Lord. All healing comes from the Lord. Now, when the Bible talked about the coming rescuer before Jesus came, it talked about the rescuer who would save us from our sins, right? This was the Messiah's job, to save us from our sins because we have sinned against a holy God. We sinned against a holy God. But the Messiah, in order to prove that he was the Messiah, you need to know who he is. If you're going to run to somebody to rescue you from sin, you need to know who he is. Just because some guy stands in the, fr- in the middle of a bunch of people and says, I'm the rescuer, you shouldn't believe that he's the rescuer. If someone said, hey, by the way, I'm God, you shouldn't believe that he is God. This is why Jesus had to prove that he's the one who could heal us from our sins. And one of the ways that the Messiah, that Jesus had to prove that he could heal us from our sins is that he had to be able to prove that he could heal us from our sins sicknesses. 
Jesus didn't come to do miracles. He did miracles. But that's not why he came. He came to rescue you and me from our sins. His miracles were just proving that he could rescue us from our sins. He healed sicknesses in order to prove that he was the one who would rescue us from our sin. And he, he is the one who proved that all healing came from him. Now, there are some people who teach that the Lord Jesus came and he died for us. He rose from the dead. And that this means that if you are a Christian, you will not be sick. There are some churches that teach that every Christian, if they are sick, will be healed. If only they trust in Jesus enough. Maybe only if they're obedient enough. Or maybe if they pay enough money to the church. Dear friends, that is wicked. It is disgustingly wicked. It's not true. Jesus did not promise that every Christian would be healed of every sickness. Now, that doesn't mean he can't. It doesn't mean that he cannot heal us. And it also doesn't mean that he hasn't promised to do these things. The Bible talks about God as being the one who heals. Everyone who's ever been healed of sicknesses has been healed by God. Every single person that's been healed of any sickness has been healed by God. It was God doing it. That's true if you were sick and then you got better without having to see a doctor, with just getting some rest. That's true if you were sick and you went to a doctor and got medicine or had surgery in order to deal with that sickness and you got better. That was God doing that. Just like all of our bread comes from the Lord, even if you went in the, in, into the field and planted the, the seeds and, and watered it and then harvested it and turned it into bread, or if you worked at a job and got money and then went to the store and got bread from the store, it is true that all of your bread came from the Lord. He's the one who is doing all of these things. And so, dear friends, it is important, it is good that we seek our healing from the Lord, that we pray to Him when we are sick. And He is able to answer every single prayer. But he answers our prayers not as if he is our slave, but as our father. And so he is perfectly in control of everything. He is perfectly wise. He is perfectly loving. And every single time one of his children asks him for something, he will respond doing what exactly what would be best for them. And very often that means he gives them health. Very often those people, his people recover. If you line up your whole life, let's say you live to 120 years and you die at 120 of illness, you will have many, many sicknesses. And the vast majority of those sicknesses God would have healed you of. So most of the time, healing is what the Lord gives. Sometimes preventing you from getting sick and sometimes healing you after you were sick. 
But the Lord will choose when to heal and when not to heal. And it will be because he loves you, because he's wiser than you, and because he wants what is absolutely best for you. He loves you and he is able to hear your prayers and answer them. And the Lord's favorite way of healing his people is ordinary ways. How do we know what's his favorite way? It's the way he chooses to do it the most. He is a good father who answers our prayers. He does not promise us that we will be healed of all of our sicknesses in this life. He did promise that all of our sicknesses will be healed. Friends, when we have a funeral, we put our loved one's body into the grave. And many times we can say, oh, that's great. He's in a better place right now. It's great. He has risen to be with the Lord. And isn't that great? That's exactly where we all want to be, case closed. That's not true altogether. When we put a Christian's body in the grave, a body that probably died because of sickness, our comfort is not simply that their soul is with the Lord, but that body's coming out of the grave one day. Just like Jesus' body came out of the grave, so too will every single Christian's body come out of the grave. And it will come out of the grave without any sickness and without the ability to get sick anymore. Our hope is in the resurrection of the body. And the proof that Jesus was able to do that, accomplish that for us in the new heavens and earth, is that he was able to heal diseases when he came the first time. He proved he was able to do these things. All healing comes from the Lord, whether it is in this life or whether it is in the next life. He has not promised it in this life. He has promised it in the next life. Now, if the problem, if one of the problems with sin is that it actually affects my ability to want to be saved, how can I be saved that's going to take us to our next point, which is this. Jesus cleans every kind of sinner. Jesus cleans every kind of sinner. One of the ways, if you turn to your passage again, Mark 6, I want you to do this with me. One of the ways you can try to figure out what is the point of this passage, one of the, what is the point of this passage, is look for repetition. You can look for repetition of words, or you can look for repetition of ideas. Okay? Very important. Right? You know this if your parents are giving you instructions. The things that they repeat a lot probably are the things that they want you to remember a lot, right? Repetition matters. In this passage, I want you to notice the amount of times the passage talks about every or all. In, let's just read it and I'm just going to point them out as we go. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region. There we go. There's the first time. And began to bring sick people on their beds to wherever. There's the next time they heard he was. And wherever. There's the next one. He came in villages, cities, or countryside. There you get all the different varieties, villages, cities, or countryside. They laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. There's a lot of repetition there. 
So first of all, the whole region was told these things. Wherever they heard that Jesus was there, a lot of people heard that he was there, and wherever they heard the news that he's there, they came. And then Jesus moves around the countryside, he moves around the area, and wherever he was, they went to him. Wherever, and that says the villages, the cities, the countryside, as many as touched him who were made well. It's not just some who touched him who were made well. You get the point. God, through Mark, is really pushing the every button right now. What's the point here? There were no types of sick people that Jesus couldn't heal. There was no one that Jesus couldn't heal. It's not like the people who believe they have the gift of healing today, is it? No. They can't heal all diseases. They can't even heal most diseases. They can't even heal many diseases. They tend to specialize in healings that can't even be proven or tested. I healed a man once who had a pain in his back that was a level 8. And wouldn't you know, he said afterwards it was a level 7.5. That's not a miracle. A miracle is the kind of thing that Jesus did. The kind of things the apostles did. Things that didn't need to be trusted. Right? If you were at the feeding of the 5,000, would anybody need to prove to you that this happened? You're like, no, I was there. It just happened. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, that person didn't have to prove that. He was Lazarus. He was dead, and now he's alive. Jesus heals every sinner. Of, he can heal every kind of sinner of every kind of sin. And of course, this is just a living parable that Jesus is the healer of our sin. And here's the point here. There's no kind of sin that Jesus cannot save you from. There's no kind of sin that Jesus can't save you from. We read in Isaiah 53 that he bore the wrath of God for every type of sin. All of our sicknesses, our sin, all of our transgressions, all of the ways that we broke in God's law, every single one of those ways that we broke in God's law, he, has, he was punished for. He took on all of our sin sickness. There's no type of sin that Jesus cannot save you from. There's no type of sin that Jesus cannot save you from. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation, this is God talking to Christians, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So let's put this into Sickness sin language. There is no type of sin Jesus is unable to rescue you from. Doesn't mean you won't face that sin. But he means he will always give you the antidote. He will always give you the way out. He will always provide repentance for you. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul ends with saying, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Run from sin. Now, there is no promise 
that every single evil desire that you feel, every single temptation will be removed in this life. Many of you have been wrestling with, struggling, fighting against a particular temptation of a particular sin for a long time. God does not promise that that temptation will be removed in this life. Sometimes that happens. We praise the Lord. We praise the Lord for it when that happens. But there's no promise that any particular sin, God will say, you will not have that as a temptation ever in your life again. But what he does promise is that he will give you grace to resist and he will give you grace to flee. Even after you've fallen into that sin, he will give you grace in order to run away from it and there's no exceptions to that promise. One of the dangerous things that's happening in our culture and our evangelical church culture these days is that we've been so influenced by the world that we've started to put a couple of sins into the category of things that cannot be healed by God. And we just have to deal with it. Things like homosexuality. Well, that's just something that person, God could never uh, help that person. That person is just stuck with being a homosexual. That person is stuck and will have to live that way. Or maybe gender dysphoria. Somebody who is a boy who thinks they're a girl or a girl who thinks they're a boy. One of the problems that that many churches have said, just accept it. It's just who you are. But the Bible gives Christians a new identity. And you are who Jesus says you are. You are who the Bible says you are. You used to be a liar. You're a Christian. You're not a liar anymore. Will you lie? You probably will. But that's not your identity, and you don't have to accept it, and you don't have to say, I'm just going to live this way. No. He has promised that every single type of sin, he will not only forgive, but he will rescue you from. He will always give you a way out. You never have to lie. You never have to sin sexually. You never have to be selfish. You never have to live as the opposite gender. You are a new creation in Christ. And yes, you may struggle with one sin or another until the Lord calls you home. But you will never be stuck doing that sin. One of these problems in the evangelical church is to say to somebody, no, you're a gay Christian, which means you have to live that way. Now you have to be celibate. You have to make sure you don't have any, any, uh, any of those physical relations But you can embrace this fact that I am a gay Christian, but don't worry, I'm not going to sin. I wonder if you see how clearly that goes against what this passage is teaching. There is not one or two or five types of sin that God says, you're just going to have to accept that as your identity. Every single type of sin he provides forgiveness for and rescue from. And so I want to say a word to those people maybe in this church who have felt those desires and who wish they didn't have them, but who have those desires nonetheless. You are who God says you are. There's no reason that you have to accept this as your identity. You don't have to accept a different identity. You can be a husband and you can be a father or you can be a wife 
and you can be a mother. Do not accept what the world or the church says, that this has to change your life. Christ offers forgiveness and a new identity for every Christian who struggles with every type of sin. This is true for those who are embroiled in pornography use, who feel like it's just something that they were just, they just have to accept, this is who I am. I just have to have that cycle of, of sin and guilt and repentance. No, no, no. Christ promises every sin can be forgiven and be healed. You do not have to do that. You feel like you have to do that in the moment, but you do not. He has promised that he will allow you to resist temptation or provide a way of escape. So flee from these sins. This is true for people who say, I'm not a people person. I just don't like people. Don't accept that as your sinful identity. Christ gives you a new identity, a lover of God and a lover of people. Or the people who say, well, I'm just easily annoyed. That's who, I, that's who my, my family brought me up to be that way. Or I'm not a Bible reader. Or I'm not a praying person. Every single type of sin, dear friends, he promises forgiveness and healing from. And it is not even a challenge to him. What did Jesus have to do in this story, in this event, in order to heal these people? What did he have to do? The answer is Nothing. <laughs> They just touched his garment. This demonstrates, dear friends, that this was not hard for him. He is Lord of all things. He has incredible power and he rescues his people from sin. There's no type of sinners that he cannot heal. There's no type of people that he prefers to heal. There's no demographic that's more savable or less savable. It's not like we have to target the rich people because they're better uh, able to understand the gospel or target poor people because, look, their lives are worse and so they'll want to have a better life. No, that's foolish and it's anti-gospel. We don't target a type of people. The gospel of Christ is just as able to save people of every single type of demographic. People in the cities, people in the towns, and even the backwater people of the countryside. Everyone Everyone can be saved by the blood of Christ. It wasn't for nothing, though, that he saved by them touching him. If somebody has an infectious disease, are you going to want them to touch you? Probably not. What was this showing? How did Jesus save us from our sin sickness? Did he do it by standing far away and and waving a magic wand? Forgiven, cleansed. Was he a doctor who said, to, to, said, you know what, I've decided I don't care, don't worry about it anymore, I've decided I don't care about cancer anymore. Was he a judge who in the courtroom says, you know what, I've decided I don't care about laws anymore, I don't care about justice anymore, I don't care about punishment anymore. No, we already read in Isaiah 53, how is it that he saved us from our sin sickness? On the cross, Jesus became sin. So think about an infection spreading from one person to the next. Now picture Christ on the cross. Every single Christian who would ever lived, and every Christian who lived before him, who were trusting that Jesus would come before he came. Imagine all of them touching him 
and all of their guilt, all of their sin sickness going from their bodies into him. And then while on the cross bearing our sin, he was damned by God, crushed for our sin, bruised for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Dear Christian, if your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. All of your sins are forgiven. Every single one of your sins is forgiven if your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. What about the sin I did 20 years ago that nobody knows about? That one too. What about the sin I did last night that nobody knows about? That one too. What about if I live long enough that I, that I commit the sin that I think I, I, would never, I would never do? That one too. Your past sins, your present sins, your future sins, all of these sins were placed on Christ. He bore them willingly and he died for them in your place. And dear Christian, if he is the savior from all of your sins, do not accept any of them. Do not accept any of them as things, well, I just, I just have to do that. I feel like I can't not. No, he has promised not just to forgive, but also to cleanse you of all of your sins. He has given us new ears. He's given us new eyes. Given us new hearts. That when we hear God's word warning us, we can be people who listen and turn by God's grace. So do that. What sin is it that you've just accepted as your own and are just not going to, just, I, I can't stop, I don't want to stop? Make today be the day of repentance. The next time you face a temptation, remember that Christ is the Savior of all sins. Do not accept that lie that you cannot or should not be rescued from that sin even before you commit it. Our fourth point is this. Knowing he was the Messiah, just a short point. The healthy saw no need of Jesus. What Mark wants us to notice is that a lot of people came to Jesus. A lot of people brought their friends to Jesus in Gennesaret. What type of people did they bring to him? What type of people? All of what type of people? Sick. Isn't it sad that they didn't bring the people who weren't sick, but who also needed to be rescued from sin? Isn't it sad that the people who were healthy, but guilty, didn't run to him for salvation, for forgiveness? Isn't it sad that the only thing they could think about was their health? And they were unable to care that they were guilty before a holy God, unable to care that they were, uh, they were stained and corrupted by guilt and sin. And Jesus, this is, this is true of, of all of us. We are much more likely to care about things like health and death and poverty than we are to care about the state of our souls before the Lord. When you think about your goals, your, things that you'd like to improve in your life, there's good goals to have. I would like to be more healthy. I would like to have a better career. 
I would like to be able to be, have more stable finances. Even thinking about what your goals are for your children or your grandchildren, you'd like them to be healthy. You'd like them to be safe. You'd like them to have good careers. You'd like them to have stable finances. But dear friends, what is it that, that captures your heart the most? Your goals for yourself or for your, your children or your grandchildren or your friends or your nieces and your nephews? Would it not be fitting that your desire would be that they would know Christ more? That they'd be less enslaved to sin? That they would capture more and more of the knowledge of his love for us on the cross? That more and more and more they'd see sin as vile, as sickness, rather than as a good thing that God wants to keep from us? That our eyes would be opened, the eyes of our hearts would be opened, to see the love of God. And not one person would trust in Jesus, even if they heard the gospel without his power. Because this is part of the problem of sin is that we do not want to be rescued from it. We need a powerful God to rescue us. And that takes us to our conclusion, our last point. Jesus uses his infinite power to reach sinners. Where did uh, Jesus tell them to set sail for? The disciples, right after the feeding of the 5,000. He told them to go to Bethsaida. And where did they land? Gennesaret. How did that happen? Well, it happened by God's sovereign hand. He wanted them to be going in one direction, trying to go in one direction, and end up in another. Did they need to know that they were supposed to end up in Gennesaret. They did not need to know that. God made sure they'd get to Gennesaret, even though they were trying to get to Bethsaida. Why would it matter? Why would it matter that they were trying to get to Bethsaida, but they ended up in Gennesaret? Why would that matter? Actually, let's ask it a different way. Who do you think cares that they ended up in, in Gennesaret? Do you think that if you were a paralytic, you'd actually care that they ended up in Gennesaret that day? What if you had cancer in Gennesaret? You're pretty glad that God redirected that boat? What if you were blind? You'd probably be very happy that God redirected that boat to come to Gennesaret. Christ sovereignly brings salvation to sinners. There's two things he does in order to make that happen. First of all, he makes sure that for all of the people that God gave to him before the world was even created. Here's your people. Here's your flock. Here's your bride. They're going to stray. They're going to sin. They're going to deserve death and hell and damnation. But they are yours and you will die for them. You will redeem them. You will gather them and you will keep them forever. It's called the covenant of redemption. God the Father and God the Son making that oath to each other. These will be your people. I will save them. Here's how he makes sure that he saves them. First of all, he dies for their sin. Yes. But what he does is he makes sure that the gospel will get to all of them. And then, just as, just as much power needed, he will make sure each of them believe in the gospel. Think about what needed to happen to bring you here today. Think about all the things that God arranged to make sure that you would be a person who'd hear the gospel. 
Some of you don't remember the first time you heard the gospel because you were born into a Christian family and they shared it with you before you could hear. The prayers of your mom and dad were probably the first things that you ever heard. You always had heard the gospel. How did they hear the gospel? Think back to your family's history for the first convert in your family. What needed to, make sure, what needed to happen in order to make sure that they heard the gospel? Was it bringing a missionary to the pagan land of Holland? which is what happened in my family's case? Or was it using war or other circumstance to make your family immigrate to a place where there was lots of gospel? Or maybe you were born and raised in Canada in a family that had no knowledge or care about the gospel, and then one of your coworkers shared the gospel with you. Or one of your neighbors did. Or maybe you applied for your dream job, you didn't get your dream job, and so you had to go to plan B. And at plan B, you heard the gospel. Christ makes sure all of his sheep will hear the gospel. Not only that, he makes sure that contrary to their dead hearts that hate the gospel, he will make sure they believe it. He will make sure his sovereign power does all of these things. And so, dear Christians, do not assume that the place where you work, the children born to you, the place where you live, are not God intentionally putting you in the life of someone so that you will make sure that they hear the gospel. Dear church, Let us remember to see sin as rebellious sickness. A sickness that has a sure cure in Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All of it, every bit of it. Dear Christian, do not accept any little bit of sin. Whether that's arrogance or lust, whether that's laziness, Don't accept any of it. Treat it like gangrene. Treat it as disgusting. But not just so you feel bad about it, so that you can run to the Savior who is eager to accept you, eager to wash you clean, eager to forgive you. Run to Christ immediately and constantly. And last, offer the medicine of the gospel freely to all. Don't assume that person doesn't need it. And don't assume that person wouldn't accept it. Christ came to save every type of sinner. The countryside sinners, the village sinners, and yes, even the city sinners. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for how your word points out things to us that we may not have seen or our hearts would be too hard to notice. Lord, I pray that you would do this work in us to treat sin, to see it as sickness something that is robbing us of life, robbing us of our senses, blinding us to how good you are, how worthy of worship and delight you are. And Father, we pray that Christ would restore us, would heal us of these sicknesses. Forgive us, but also restore us. Give us our sight back and our hearing back. Give us our senses back that we might truly delight in how wonderful it is to be the children of the God who made the heavens and the earth. I pray that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.